0: Well, this is it, and here we go with the year-ending show of Inside EMS, and this episode of Inside EMS is sponsored by ECHO. Core stethoscope technology by ECHO helps EMS providers to make confident, split-second decisions in the most challenging environments by enhancing stethoscope sound. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O-Health.com, and I am excited to be back with you for the end-of-year show, and with me always is the man to the chair to my right Kelly Grayson KG how are you I'm good man got a got a nice christmas present got to get back on an ambulance and and actually be
1: a paramedic again uh that was pretty cool uh uh not n- not as cool when my 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 dispatcher uh <laughs> hung it in me and broke it off <laughs> most of the day but um it I was, it was a
0: nice welcome back they wanted to welcome you back in style. I was uh, yeah, yeah, I was following the, your Facebook threads of uh, all the work you were doing, and uh, they put you right back in the saddle right on Christmas Day. Eh?
1: Right back in the saddle, and apparently everybody else's saddle too. We're you know we're like everybody else. We're shorthanded, so I wound up running running calls till. for 22 straight hours uh, in in pretty much every response district but my own. Um, But, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. But uh, it's, well... I, I discovered that my body can handle uh, 22 hours uh, of running and sitting in an ambulance. <laughs> it doesn't handle it well, but it am- handled it as well as it did before my uh, my spinal issues creeped up. So, uh what was, was it like? I, was stretching and and ibuprofen. I, I was fine. How would it feel to be back? It was fine, man. I got you know I'd get back into the groove pretty pretty easily because uh, I I was with my my regular partner so um and he was he was glad to have me back, although he's too grumpy to ever to ever admit it but um you know we we have our own our own choreography worked out, so we know know each other's moves pretty well and just it felt like putting on a, a comfortable pair of old shoes, you know You just uh you settle right
0: into things, you get just away with words yeah, yeah so
1: well, doug would probably be upset that I referred to him as a pair of old shoes but <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to send a shout out to our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence, for jumping in at the last minute and covering me. Uh, had uh, was the nice recipient of the uh, disease COVID. And you could probably still hear some in my voice as I am not 100% back in the saddle, but I appreciate Rob. Anytime Rob has the opportunity to come and visit and share his expertise. You guys did a great show. And uh, for those who uh, want to hear more about Rob, Check out his show, uh, the EMS One Stop. He's coming up right after us, so just hang in there and uh, check his show out. But cheers to Rob. Happy New Year to him. And Happy New Year to everybody out there. And One of the things that we thought would be good is to count down the top five calls or the top five most commented articles on EMS One this year. And we're going to start off with number five which was an article that was written by our friend, Tim Nowak. And that was a triad of findings, three case presentations for Cushing's triad. He actually sent us an email yesterday wanting to, uh, has an idea for a new show. We have to get in touch with him about that. But, uh, Kelly, when we think about Cushing's triad, uh, what do you give us?
1: You know, Cushing triad is, is one of those, one of the many triads in medicine that, that help us identify life-threatening conditions. And, and, uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me how, how few people are aware of, of some of these classic triads of symptoms, Cushing's being, being a primary one, uh, signs of, of, uh, increased intracranial pressure. And, you know, you see this when, when, uh, some of my, my colleagues of paramedic educators throw, uh, Uh, scenarios out to students you know and 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 the vital signs don't match what's going on with the patient um but but simply put Cushing's triad or Cushing's reflexes is is, uh three elements hypertension bradycardia and an altered respiratory pattern And, and usually that hypertension is elevated systolic pressure um but the diastolic pressure does not increase significantly in fact there's a very widened pulse pressure but all of these things are are hallmarks of uh impending brain herniation that that we need to be aware of and and spot when when it happens and take steps to intervene to to, to help limit that um the things that we can do you know are are, are kind of limited uh at least as paramedics if we can do some other things uh to uh, to reduce our intracranial pressure, we can. But mainly, it's uh, we we have to focus on on maintaining perfusion and and ventilating the patient at an appropriate rate and depth. Notice I said that, not hyperventilate, but ventilate the patient at an appropriate rate and depth to help help manage uh, the uh, the swelling a little bit. But Cushy triad is one of those really useful. Um, uh, finding triads that we can, uh, we can use in medicine.
0: And uh, it's one that everybody ought to know. Yeah. But you really have to be able to feel comfortable in the process to recognize the fact that this is going on. Yeah. When you have some type of uh, respiratory depression or a decreased respiratory rate. When you have a decreased heart rate, when you have increased blood pressure, I don't know that we're spending a lot of time of thinking about what those challenges are. And we've got to be able to recognize that, oh, my gosh, this is Cushing's triad. This just mm-hmm. isn't increased blood pressure. This just isn't dec- decreased heart rate. And then we've got to be able to figure out what could be the challenges here. Is this trauma in nature? Is this a stroke? Is this, uh, you know, other things? And and I don't know that we're just thinking about it in the process, uh, in the moment that, oh, my gosh, look at what I've got here. I think we're really kind of... Uh, just treating what we're seeing. And I think that that's where that challenge comes in. But I do think that this is where the um, knowledge, the comfort, uh, the expertise of being an EMT and paramedic come into play. It was a great article. And I'm glad to see that it was uh, in our top five. Of course, number four is one that is making the rounds in a lot of different areas so it wasn't just the most commented on article, but it was also in the top articles by Pageview uh, for 2021. It was in the top news of 2021. And this was an article that was written by our friends over at Page, Wolfberg and Worth. And this is about uh, ambulance being held hostages. Can hospitals make you stay? And I got to tell you, I mean, in COVID, this has been a real challenge. But I got this isn't a COVID issue, right? We were yeah. dealing with these issues 10 years ago when we went off the diversion of hospitals. Uh, we would get those calls every now and again as supervisors, Kelly, where the, our, our charge nurse would say, can you give us a little break or we're going on diversion? And uh, uh, we had those challenges where our, our ambulances were waiting 45 and 50 minutes for a bed if you're in a system status management model where all calls are based on one hour and you've got to be able to get your call run Mm -hmm. and back in a service in an hour's timeframe, but now we're spending uh, 50 minutes in a hospital ER trying to get a bed. This isn't an EMS issue. This is a hospital issue. Yeah. Now that COVID is, is exacerbated that issue that's allowing people to, uh, you know, get held up more and being held hostage as we are talking about, and I just read somewhere, I don't remember the state, um, but they're hiring nurses now. EMS agencies are hiring nurses to stick them in the Kansas, ER. I believe it was. Yeah, maybe you're right. And they are now paying nurses to sit in the ER and uh, handle the patients for, um, um, you know, uh, passing them off. And then the ambulances mm-hmm. are going back into service. But again, this is a hospital issue, but in the days of COVID, can we really point a finger towards the hospital or is this uh, something that we just have to deal with? But this was another news article that uh, we're going to probably be following in 2022 because it's just not going away, Kelly.
1: Yeah. Hospital bed delays have been a, a long-standing issue um, and, and, and. Uh, hospitals are short-staffed just like we are, uh, and, and COVID has exacerbated that problem greatly, uh, but it was an issue long before. And we have, you know, there are hospitals that, that are, are swamped and they don't have enough personnel and they have too many patients, and, and that's understandable. Uh, then again, there are also hospitals who, who unfairly rely on EMS to help mitigate their staffing shortages. And, and they and they, they exacerbate our own staffing shortages when they do that uh, we have a couple of hospitals in our service area that that um, it every crew knows that when you go there uh, you're going to be pointedly ignored for the first 20 30 minutes you're there before they even acknowledge your presence and and that's just the way they do business uh, it's sad that it happens uh, and, and it and you can't blame it on staffing issues and lack of bed space because they're fully staffed and they have uh, 50 or 60 beds in their ER. It's just the way they do things. And we don't like that, but, but, um, when you, when you get to a certain hospitals and, and, uh, <laughs> there's, there's seven or eight or your ambulances stacked up there beca- and, and out of service because they're tending to the patients in the ER, uh, something has to be done. And, and often our, our supervisors and dispatchers will say, you know, drop your stretcher, uh, gather your equipment and leave the patient at the hospital. Uh, and as a result, it's like we have a used stretcher lot in the uh, in the uh, airlock between the ambulance bay inner doors and outer doors uh, with spare stretchers that we keep up there. And the the question, you know, Paige Wolfberg and, and Wirth point out accurately uh what many many services do not uh, may not know is that we are under no obligation to stay with the patient once they are at the hospital no obligation whatsoever the only reason we do so is courtesy so uh it's a courtesy that we stay with the patients and, and oftentimes our system demand uh requires that we uh, um Circumvent or 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 negate that courtesy somewhat, and and go back on calls, uh, and that's what we need to do. Uh, how you address that at your system, you know, is, is probably going to be a question of of customer service and 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 good relationships with your hospitals. <clears throat> but don't think that uh, just because a a uh, hospital staffer has not taken uh, a handoff report from you that you are legally obligated to stay. You're not, and you have other patients to tend to.
0: Yeah, but one of the big challenges is you can't just leave your stretcher because you've got your patient on your stretcher. Uh, and, that's
1: true. That's why we have, you know, we have extra stretchers parked right. there. And then I, we joked that that uh, we should have our staff meetings there and save a little time, you know, since everybody seems to gather at one particular hospital ER. Right. <laughs> but um and we have, we've, we've tried the, the approach that, uh, that uh, the service in Kansas or the hospital in Kansas used uh, by employing a nurse specifically to babysit the patients until they get bed space. Um, we didn't use a nurse. We used one, uh, uh, a rotation of some of our other EMTs uh, who, who hang out in the EMS break room and, and babysit patients. Uh, but, and we, but even we, we can't even do that now because we need them on an ambulance
0: okay. running calls. We use light duty, light, light duty paramedics, you know, so it's that thing, but let's go ahead and take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to give you the top three stories of 2021, but Kelly, let's go ahead and hear about Echo Health.
1: Uh, Glad to. Core stethoscope technology by Echo with active noise cancellation and up to 40 times amplification helps EMS providers assess hard to hear heart, lung, and other body sounds in even the loudest situations. I've tested the Echo Core technology. I use an Echo Core Litman stethoscope every day, and I can tell you that it is a game changer. It will help you hear things that you didn't think were possible to hear, and you will love it if you try it. Learn more at EchoHealth.com. That's E K O Health.com, and use code EMS
0: one for twenty dollars off. All right, well, welcome back. We are going to go to our top three stories now. And Kelly, this is a story that I think is something that is uh, close to your heart, and the uh, the number three story of the year. Toxicologists will tell you you can't just touch fentanyl and overdose. And this is one that you and I did shows on, and we've talked about it a couple times, and we still see that there are challenges in our field from a first first responder standpoint, that there is a belief that if you come in contact with fentanyl, um, that you will overdose, whether you touch it, whether you inhale it, um, that there's a challenge there. And you said, I remember, Uh, that i talk about all the time on our show when we did this and had this discussion there would be a lot more dealers who are overdosing as they're bagging up their (laughs) products than um we wouldn't be normally seeing in the really if you think about it it would take care of its own problem because the dealers Mm -hmm. would be overdosing and it wouldn't be leaving the house yeah this is an issue yeah this and and this is like urban
1: legend, mass hysteria among the law enforcement community, primarily. And, and, and here's a perfect opportunity for EMS to do a public education initiative. You need to reach out to news outlets uh, and tell them to stop, you know, point out the, the science behind it and, and, and to stop uh, sharing uh, uncritically these, these unsubstantiated stories. And reach out to our law enforcement brethren and say, "Look, <laughs> you are succumbing to to hysteria, mass hysteria, and an urban legend. It cannot happen. These things do not happen. Scientifically proven that they do not happen. You can strip down naked and lay in a pile of fentanyl and make little fentanyl angels uh, for hours on end and not absorb it through your skin. You are having a panic attack every time." Uh, every well, time we don't, we don't
0: necessarily know you're having a panic attack.
1: Okay. Dizziness, chest tightness, well, uh, tachycardia palpitations, <clears throat> it's panic attack. That's what they're having. They're having anxiety. It, it in no way resembles an opioid or opiate toxidrome. It is a panic attack and they're succumbing to the placebo effect by thinking that Narcan somehow relieved their panic attack. Therefore it was, it was, uh, fentanyl. And we know that that is not the case, but they don't know that's not the case. And every time one of these stories appears in the news, it, it lends some, some credence uh, to, to this urban legend. And, and it's sad that it happens. But bottom line is, if you're, a, if, if you're a person who can administer Narcan to yourself, you are not exposed to fentanyl or opioids. If you can administer it to yourself, you don't need it. You're having a panic attack. What you need to do is calm down. Uh, This is just, uh, this is a a myth and and a phenomenon that just does not seem to go away. And it seems like the only people who have not clued in that it's a myth are news outlets and law enforcement agents. So, uh, yeah.
0: And one of the things that we've got to be able to think about is, you know, fentanyl is, and and really the opioid opioid epidemic is a big mm -hmm. big challenge, right? And uh, we've allowed this to precipitate. But we've got to be able now to share, and really, I think that the education has to go to our first responders and not really yes. the public, right? And we've got to be able to to talk about, um, you know, we've got to be able to talk about um, what's true and what isn't true. But as you sense, as you mentioned, it's become an urban legend. So, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and talk about our number two story. This came out in August of twenty one. And it came out of uh, actually Washington state where unvaccinated Washington firefighters will no longer be able to respond to medical calls. The vaccine requirement uh, applies to salary and volunteered responders in Skagit County, in Skagit County uh, fire districts. And this was a very, very, um, uh, this, this, article was very, very well commented on. And people who lived in Washington state, uh, people who didn't live in the state had a lot to say about it. And this was really the beginning, Kelly, of the, if you don't get the shot, you're not going to be able to work for us. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to run calls. There were EMS agencies that were putting their responders on leave. And Kelly, I mean, there were even some agencies as well as hospitals who are terminating EMS mm-hmm. professionals and nurses. You know, we talk about that there's a shortage of nurses, and what are they doing? They're letting them go because they won't take the shot. We're short in EMS, and what are we doing? We're cutting off our nose to spite our face, and we're letting them uh, go home instead of running calls. And, uh, you know, I, I again, when, when we didn't have the, the shot, These folks were abused to the point of saying, I need you to work 70, 80, 90 hours a week to cover for the people who are sick. And then just because there's a vaccine out there and I'm still on the side to say, you know what? Do what you got to do, man. But we need these resources. And uh, if they want to roll the dice and risk their life, um, what does it have to do with me? I mean, look at me. I I mean, I, I got COVID, right? I took the shot when I was supposed to. I got my shots in February, uh, and March of 21. And I was right there on the front. And now at the end of the year, uh, I was the one who was stupid in my approach to keeping myself safe. I went to a wedding. I didn't have a mask on. And within a few days I had COVID and, uh, it didn't, ha- it didn't keep me from being laid up and having the international correspondent have to back me up to do the show. Um, but still, I mean, I've got it. You could hear it. Um, but it didn't keep me from getting this disease, and I still had to do my work. And uh, I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit upset about this that uh, we're taking this approach. But uh, I am on the outside; I am on the periphery because everybody is coming to the conclusion of saying, "Chris, shut up! Everybody needs to get a shot. If they don't get a shot, they can't work for us anymore."
1: Well, you know, it's it is a difficult. Uh, problem with no easy solutions and and you made a great point you know these people were were asked to to work <clears throat> without uh, a COVID vaccine and now that one is available um suddenly they're they're unfit uh I think that sends a bad message but but again it, it is it is a shame that this has become so politicized uh you, you never had pushback against you know uh people requiring agencies requiring uh uh diphtheria pertussis and and tetanus you know and and uh whooping cough uh well that's pertussis but you know and and hepatitis b vaccine and 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 tb skin tests and 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 this sort of thing no one has ever pushed back against those things uh we accepted it as a given that that we had to be inoculated against these diseases if we wanted to work in a healthcare environment and all of a sudden now it is suddenly a a political issue and and Politicians and, and policymakers on both sides of the issue, pro and and anti vaccine, are out there spouting ignorance uh, and and inflaming people against one another. Uh, when you know, at, at some point, they need to shut up and let the adults talk. And the virologists and epidemiologists will tell you that this is a safe, uh, effective vaccine. It is. Uh, it is not as effective as, as vaccines some of our childhood vaccines because we're using it in, against a very agile foe a coronavirus there's a reason we haven't ever been able to cure the common cold because it's a coronavirus it, they mutate so readily um, and, and this is going to be part of our our uh, annual flu uh, season pandemic. Uh, you know, landscape for, for many years to come, maybe even permanently, that they'll have to come up with with uh, different uh, models of coronavirus vaccine, I would imagine, because it mutates so readily, and we'll have to, you know, do some surveillance surveillance and, and see uh, what the, the prevalent strain is going to be in the coming year, uh, just like we have to do with the flu vaccine. Um, but I'm disappointed in that many of my coworkers who are presumably medical professionals uh, are apparently not well-educated enough to, to accept the, the, uh, the data and the science on this, and, and instead they take their talking points from Politico and, and Fox News and MSNBC and everything else uh, uh, from media talking heads and the same media talking heads that breathlessly report uh, occupational fentanyl exposures, and, and yet we roll our eyes at those, but we listen to them when they say that the vaccine is is uh, is not safe or, or so on and so forth. It's it's a darn shame. But I agree with you actually, and and you could probably mark this as your your red letter moment for 2021. Sure. I actually agree with you on something. Uh, I think that if a, a a personnel were were expected to work without a vaccine and protect themselves uh, and all this, and and now suddenly they're being being terminated or sent home, uh, by their agency because they refused to get the vaccine when, when, uh, they were expected to work without it before it was available. Uh, I think that sends a really bad message. Uh, I don't know how we send the right message. Uh, but I don't think that shows adequate appreciation for the sacrifices and the risks that
0: those people put themselves through, uh, in the early days of this pandemic. Right. And, um, You know, so let's go ahead and get to our number one story, our number one most commented story on EMS one is up next. But before we do that, I want to go ahead and touch on the other categories. So we have the top articles uh, of uh, 2021 by page view and those top five stories just to give them to you were um, understanding the push dose pressers. So that was a, a great article that was written. The number four story was ambulance being held hostage. We talked about that. The number three story was uh, a triad of findings, three case presentations for Cushing's triad. So we are seeing some, um, uh, you know, some uh, parallel to what we're talking about, Kelly. Uh, And another article was uh, the number two article uh, by Page View was the second article, about ambulances being held hostage and the number one story the top article on ems1 in 2021 was the discussion that we had about the paramedic and the criminal charges that were being put in play uh, in the elijah mcclain case the top five stories by page view were number five uh, was what we talked about with the toxicologist talking Mm -hmm. about fentanyl Number four was the four I.R.A. EMS providers who were cited after a medic allegedly gave uh, intoxicated E.M.T. fluids. We talked about yeah. that on this show, Kelly. Number yeah, it commonly three,
1: happens, but not kosher.
0: Right. Uh, number three was uh, that local governments needed to start paying hazardous pay uh, and stipends to first responders during COVID. The number two story or news item by page view was uh, that seven Kansas responders, uh, board side seven Kansas responders for failing to transport patient to the hospital. We talked about that one here. And then the number one story by, uh, or the number one news story by PageView was when the Kentucky hospital offered $75 an hour crisis pay for paramedics to help them in their nursing shortage. But this brings us to our number one story, Kelly, of the most commented article on EMS one was the Oklahoma firefighter was disciplined for transporting a burned child in an engine, in a fire engine. And this happened back in January of 2021 and a Oklahoma Oklahoma City fire officials said that firefighters actions went against both protocol and state law that there was a child burn patient that they were waiting for an ambulance uh, that took a little bit too long. They decided to take this three year old girl after waiting for an ambulance to arrive. This was Christmas Eve and they went ahead and transported that child in the engine which caused a challenge for that, that fire crew. And actually, I believe it was the fire officer who was uh, really kind of disciplined about that. We talked about that on this show as well, Kelly. We know that Chief Mark Bayshore, who is over on Fire Rescue One and the uh, host of Side Alpha Podcast, talked about it on his show. Uh, but this was, a big, this was a big topic. And, and the top comment and article... In 2021, on EMS one, I can
1: understand the firefighters' frustration at, at ambulance delays. You know, EMSA uh, is, uh, is is taxed uh, to the limits, just like pretty much every other major EMS agency in the country, uh, and they they've had some issues with staffing and and uh, unable to meet their response time standards. Um, uh, so it, it's it's probably uh um weighs on the fire department somewhat to have to wait for an ambulance however this was not the way to do that uh this was not the way to to respond to that and and uh as demonstrated by the fact that the firefighter was disciplined over it, he wasn't demoted he wasn't terminated and didn't lose any pay Uh, i think they probably just gave him a stern talking to that uh this is not the way we handle these issues um I think part of the problem probably lies in the fact that you you don't understand uh, or, or you place uh, uh, an undue amount of of faith on the value of, of transport time and, and getting the patient to the hospital quickly. Uh, what many people don't understand is burns are not time-sensitive injuries. Uh, <laughs> you know, airway burns are time-sensitive injuries. This child had burns to her lower extremities. That's where they were limited to, you know. So uh, burns the lower extremities uh, are are not really a life-threatening emergency uh, or even a time-sensitive one. As long as the patient's airway in a burn patient, as long as their airway needs are, or their airway is secure and their fluid needs are met, um, it's not really a time-sensitive emergency. And we all know the Parkland burn formula and how much fluid a a patient needs to get in the first eight hours and the first 24 hours and all that. So, I mean, the, the, uh, uh, the uh, engine crew probably does not have the ability to to start an IV and initiate fluid boluses for, for this child. Uh, but a fluid bolus started 45 minutes later versus a fluid bolus started now uh, in the context of the child's overall fluid needs is probably minuscule. You know, there's not that much benefit to it. Um, I think this is one of those Issues where it was an error of compassion. Uh, firefighter sees a a hurt child and uh, one who's most likely in pain uh, feels like something needs to be done for it, and and errs on the side of taking the patient to the hospital without an ambulance. And I can certainly understand why why the firefighter would do that. Um, probably when you weigh risk versus benefit, transporting a patient a three year old in a engine with no safety seats and everything else and the way people act when lights and sirens approach uh the risk may have not have been uh, may have outweighed the reward in that case <clears throat> but it it certainly garnered a, a lot of opinions uh and comments from ems1 listeners and and uh readers and uh there there's no easy solution to that but um an ambulance is designed to carry sick patients and a fire engine is not. Uh, that's that's all I have to say about that.
0: So there it is, the top five commented stories on EMS1 for 2021. Kelly, it's been a great year for Inside EMS. Uh, remember, we always take the first two weeks of the new year off, and our first show back will be January 14th and we will start 2022 so kelly i think for the last time of 2021 uh go ahead and end this show and get us up on out of here
1: well uh 2021 was a dumpster fire for for america and for ems in general uh it, it may have been a good year for our show but it was not a good year for our profession and a good year for america and we can only hope that once uh, we leave it in the rearview mirror in 2022 we'll see us turn a corner and brighter days will be ahead But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Email us at theshow at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabolaro, we're going to catch you guys in a couple of weeks.